0: What is good, everybody? My name is Tim Karen, and this is the Performance Health Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the autonomic nervous system and testing of the autonomic nervous system. This is web show number eight. Myself, Corey Hobbs, Sean Hayes are going to do a pretty, pretty interesting and what I think a very, very up-to-date and practical way to use autonomic nervous system testing. You know, one of the things that we find a lot with any wearable is how is this going to influence my day to day versus my long term planning training prescription? And it's a really good question. I think it's a fundamental question. I think it's something that if we start to unpack. If I'm going to wear a wearable looking at HRV, resting heart rate, maybe some other elements, how is that going to influence my decision? And is it something that I can be reliable with. And we're going to talk a lot about that, the difference between reliability and validity and maybe reliability with a wearable for personal use might be more important. If you like this episode, We want to dive more into the resources that we use to unpack the secrets to autonomic nervous system testing. Become a member of the PH curriculum. You get access to over 50 modules broken up into coaching, training, nutrition, and movement, and all of our web shows, video format minus all the stuff that we're doing in between, between the ads and these descriptions, as well as the notes, the transcripts, and then honestly a lot of resources that I'm compiling together and how I leverage certain things in a practical way, like testing sheets and other notes that I take throughout the course of training and things that I'm looking into. So become a member of the PH curriculum by going to phpodcast.com, signing up for our PH curriculum by becoming a member. You will not regret it. All right, let's get into it. If you're listening to this podcast, it probably means you are a strength coach or want to be a strength coach. And man, do I have the resource for you. It's called How to Become a Strength Coach, Periodizing Your Career in Strength Conditioning. This is your start-to-finish seminal resource to get you to becoming the best possible strength coach you can ever be. You can get your copy along with access to our course at phpodcast.com. This is a must-have for any strength conditioning coach or any aspiring strength conditioning coach out there. It will not only give you a step-by-step tutorial on how to become a strength coach, it will help you optimize your career every
1: step of the way. Absolute must-have. If you like this podcast, get the book. Okay, Tim, we're talking Autonomic Nervous System today. Basically, what is it and how can we track it and why does it matter?
0: So there's two portions of the autonomic nervous system. There's the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, right? Those two branches, the fight or flight, rest and digest, the the yang or the yin. You know, this is a a fundamental concept and there's actually a module. We dive pretty hard into this in our nutrition course on the curriculum. It's called duality. Did a full-on interview with Mark Fitzgerald, former head strength coach for the Anaheim Ducks. And anyone who probably has listened to me talk, you know, I put a lot of emphasis on objective. I, I think that is the forefront of proving what we do. And I've been talking about this a nauseam with a lot of our staff. So now we have tools that we can assess this. And it goes back into what Omega Wave was trying to establish 20, 30 years ago, using stuff they were doing with Argonauts and looking at heart rate rhythm and what is a variability from one beat to the next and what does that mean from either being sympathetic dominant or parasympathetic dominant to taking some time to really evolve and become a commercial product to I think Joel Jameson was probably one of the first, first people like domestically that you know really dived into understanding HRV and made it a mainstream concept to now it's amazing to see it take fold. like I was one of the original ones who had Joel's like HRV tracker that you put on this like dongle you put on your phone and you connect it to your polar heart rate monitor and you could see potentially a rhythm. I thought it was pretty unreliable and I was also one of the persons that used OmegaWave that set up your your sensor here and here and put your strap here and you lie on your back for three to eight minutes and you try to get a readout and be about maybe 60% of the time you get a readout and then you're like, I'm not going to commit another three minutes to potentially not get a readout and, and then you lose traction of it. So now we're in a world where we can put a ring on, we can put a band on, we can wear a watch with a near infrared spectrometry spe- uh, sensor there that we can look at these things. We have this stuff wildly available. So in terms of like, what is HRV? What is autonomic nervous system? What is the things that we're trying to track? It's looking at how our heart rate whether it's tracked through a infrared scan on our our finger, our wrist, maybe a a strap, maybe a couple sensors here and here, is reacting and moving to the outside or our environment. And if I'm exercising at a high level, if I'm under a lot of stress, if I have poor sleep quality, or if we just in general have a lot of emotional things that we're working through, we see disruptions to our natural set point of here's our Like let's say we wake up in the morning and our resting heart rate is at 50 and rest of the day, it's this constant change of rhythm, time, it's beating at different rates. We see a different HRV, right? And what HRV really tells us is the more variation we experience, the larger our bandwidth, the more parasympathetic state we're really in. In the other end, if we see smaller bandwidth, that means we're probably in a heightened state of arousal, more And we see a smaller fluctuation or smaller variation. And that puts us in this more sympathetic state with a lower HRV. And I think one of the things that's so impactful from understanding this is you get a better proxy off of just not only the training, because I think training... Stress is pretty intuitive, right? Do you feel delayed onset muscle soreness? Did you report a high RPE? Do you feel a general state of fatigue or a certain level during the workout that you thought that was a challenging workout? I think we can walk away from that. that, that When we feel sore or lethargic or or beat up the next day, we can intuitively associate that with training. So I think training stress has always been something that we probably have a very very keen awareness of just the impact from that even to the point where it's like etched in our brain of when you're reading science and practice or super training that like shock method or plyometrics or doing a lot of sprinting or doing a lot of Olympic lifting or maximal lifting is going to have a certain point of diminishing returns unless we have some sort of rest and recuperation effect. And I think that part of it from a strength conditioning, looking at autonomic nervous system function is very easily associated with training intensity and stress. The other stuff I think is harder to quantify and harder to associate that. And I think a lot of it, if you're really type A, if you're really motivated, if you're a strength coach, if you're an athlete, it's the stuff that we always have struggled to adhere to or listen to. You know, Mm -hmm. the sleep quality or the sleep quantity is something to rise and overcome, right? the I had a crappy night's sleep. That is that's no one's fault. Training plan must go on. And we take a little account for that. Or, hey, I just moved, I changed jobs, or did a lot of other things that are massive stressors, like the eight big stressors in life. We don't really account for it. It's just something to overcome and not to say that should have any influence on what I'm doing from a physical stress standpoint. We've never had a tool in the history of strength conditioning until largely the past 10 years that equated, that accounted for the stress outside of the weight room. And we're kind of going through this, this acclimation period with it, right? The realization that wearing one of these might give you a, a proxy of just how hard or stressful your life really is. And you have to make some decisions on how much that's going to influence your training, right? The, the idea is that like, if I just don't know ignorance is bliss and I keep training my absolute tail off every single day that that stuff it doesn't matter but until we start to see a dip in HRV a rise in resting heart rate a drop in subjective wellness and who knows how much that low HRV and high resting heart rate impacts your subjective appraisal of that day right we start to create a self-fulfilling prophecy of like oh this is down so i'm going to start telling myself i feel like crap or you know the other influence of i feel a little bit under the weather that could be. I'm going to compartmentalize that. I'm going to push that down. I'm going to let that be something where I push through. And you see a a raise in body temperature, a a raise in CO2, a a drop in HRV, a rise in resting heart rate, a, dry, a rise in blood pressure. All these like proxies that we can use on any given day, and then we start to see your training in that. And we'll, what I would like to talk about too is you know the aggregate proxies like HRV and resting heart rate, and The other part is like the, the more live feedback of like things like resting heart rate or, or velocity during a training session, which can give you real time data on just how unprepared you are for that session as well. So top of the line, it's parasympathetic, sympathetic. It's looking at things that say, Hey, here's your bandwidth on this given day to handle stress. And if you can handle it, great. Go go nuts. If you can't handle it, you got to start making some decisions. And I think this is a critical juncture to understand this stuff better and how we can leverage it as a tool to look at overall programming, not just on a micro
1: scale, but a macro scale. Absolutely. I wanted to go back to something you said about, you know, stressors and, and just looking at stressors as something to overcome. Now we have all these tools to, to track these stressors essentially And as we look at athletic performance, it could be boiled down to like just managing stress and your ability to recover from those stressors. So we're tracking HRV, resting heart rate, wellness. How do we know when we should make adjustments to our training plan or our nutrition plan or or anything really?
0: Yeah. You know, and I think these are always the, there's a point where we want to overreach, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. we host that muscle mentorship where I intentionally tell people like this is, you're going to feel like crap. You're going to be in a negative state. For a long time, and we are intentionally depleting glycogen, really breaking down muscle tissue, really dampening that central nervous system to the point where it's going to take an accentuated period of time to recover. And this is a this is a really, really planned out, etched out thing where we do, Readiness testing we look at force plate, we look at nordboard we look at grip, we look at wellness, we look at heart rate during training session we look at RP post session we look at velocity during the session, and you can see a massive decline from day one to day, day five yep. in that situation, you know I would tell you if your HRV is down, good that was the plan right mm-hmm. and I think that's That's one aspect of this, like where we are all committing to, okay, this is going to be a week that we've prepared for, that we've tapered off to prepare even more so for. And in the back end, it might go into a two to three week period of nothing or very light activity, right? The post season, so to speak of that. And when we look at something like that as a, like, I don't know, this small sample of how we should approach training every single day, I think that's, misleading, right? That's an extreme example of how you should not pay attention to HRV because the point is to decrease H- is, to, is to have this decline in HRV and rise in resting heart rate and rise in blood pressure because that, that's all we're trying to do in that week is to try to stress you to such a level that is going to create hopefully extreme adaptation. But normal everyday training, like if you see a really crappy HRV, if you see a really high resting heart rate, That is always a critical juncture to start to make decisions. And there's two examples I really want to go into. There's you or working on a one-on-one basis and there's working within a group. If one of your athletes in your group says, hey, my HRV is really down. I'm not really feeling it. Chances are as a strength coach, you're going to say, sucks for you. Like You're going through with the program right? And you 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 have in the back of your mind, this idea of when I'm reading the points of diminishing returns, velocity is going down, they're missing the rep brackets, technique and range of motion is, is suffering. You're going to have to make amendments, right? And we know the amendments, it's going to be, hey, I'm going to drop the weight or drop the intensity. I'm going to drop the volume by maybe t- potentially cutting sets, or I'm going to drop the density by getting more rest in between sets. And you know you're going to do that. And whether you're doing that intentionally or intuitively, it doesn't really matter. You're going to have a response to a diminishing ability during that training session from that low, low HRV. In a one-on-one setting, you can probably make those decisions before, right? So if you're going into your session and you know that your HRV was maybe 10% down and you know that your resting heart rate is 10% up, you start to go, okay, that's going to have a big impact on this. Maybe it goes into, I need to do a better job of microcycle design. Maybe it goes into, hey, I I just had a random occurrence where my two-year-old woke up 10 times last night and I have really crappy HRV. Uh, I feel like, hey, I want to get a training session in, but I can't be to the level that I thought it was going to be, so I'm going to do the best job I can and lower that volume, intensity, or that increase the rest. And you start to make those decisions on the front end or the back end. And I think in those two situations... You're still using things like HRV or autonomic function as a proxy to determine what that is. You're just framing it in a different way, right? That, hey, on the front end, on a one on one basis, or just with myself, you understand that there's going to have a point of diminished returns happening more rapidly versus on the back end with a group that you really need to manage this group dynamic, right? This, hey, you made the choice to go out late, you made the choice to. Cram for a test that you should have been preparing for all all semester. You made the choice to play video games till 2 a.m. You made the choice to eat shitty food yesterday. You made all these choices. There is a consequence to that, and I'm not going to let you yield to that. And I want you to push through and understand. I'm trying to create behaviors and habits, and your autonomic nervous system function is irrelevant because that's mostly on you. Now I will make the contingencies happen after the fact, but the point needs to be made of. If you are self-inflicting damage to your autonomic nervous system, the program shouldn't have to adjust to accommodate your lack of discipline or lack of structure in your personal life. And I think that's the part that gets so wild about all this. It's like, hey, I'm encouraging a lot of my athletes and clients to wear these things. And when it gets to the actual critical juncture of having this make an influence on my decision, I'm married to really high level execution. That's Mm -hmm. it. If they can't execute all their reps, if they can't do it with great range of motion, great position with a predetermined technique, then yes, I have to make an amendment, but I'm not going to give them that, that satisfaction to let them get out of it based off of their self-inflicted wounds, right? Like this, Hey, I had three beers last night. I work with a lot of adult gen pop, not really feeling that motivated. Sucks to be you. Like we're going to go through with this program until we can. And if we can't go through the program and you get to the point of like, I'm not losing weight or I'm just not getting the results that I thought I would be getting, like you've never made any concessions to how you want to get this. You never compromised on, I need to prioritize tomorrow's workout. So I'm going to go to bed earlier. I'm going to drink more water the day before I'm going to get, more of whatever it is, is going to allow me to get a a better workout there. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to go through this and have all my peri-workout supplementation ready to go. Maybe I get into a little more soft tissue and prepare emotionally and physically and mentally for this workout that I know is going to be really hard. You didn't put it in a, you just basically just walked in and hoped that it would be enough. Like it doesn't, the way this works. It's a full-on process. And we talked about this last, in our last uh, conversation of like the residual impact from your program and your ability to have this concentric circle by holding people to a standard, and if you don't have this influence that transcends the weight room, do you really have a great program? And I think these like little like tricks that you play when you look at, hey, I want you to get one of these, and the day you walk in and tell me that your HRV is down, I'm not gonna make any changes until I have to. And we see it all the time, right? I do enough force play, I do enough of this, I do enough of, of perceiving things, or working through things to go, sometimes it really doesn't make an impact live. It just doesn't, you know, the HRV being down the force plate down, whether it's RSI or jump height, or maybe even like peak force is all down. And you start to go, okay, well, probably not going to be that great with a heavily loaded back squat today or doing some sprint work today. And then they're fine. And you're like, well, thank God I didn't make that concession before I actually knew sometimes just rising to the occasion in their environment. And some people do better in a fatigued state. And I'm not saying we want to do that all the time, but imagine if you didn't take that opportunity in that session. Because if you work in a team setting, your opportunities are very limited to get them faster, stronger, maybe even bigger. And if you miss that opportunity because you're just overly relying on a measurement that's important, you're probably not going to get the results that you want.
1: Yeah. And I think you could also have the conversation of like, with athletes you give an inch they're going to take a mile so hey coach my hrv is down so he's going to go tell his friends hey i told him, coach my hrv was down so he just mm-hmm. cut my workout made it a little bit easier so yeah. so if, yeah. if you can stick to that plan and you have a little bit more adherence and then it forces them to make those adjustments like oh, i can't stay up right. until 2 a.m because i'm just going to get trashed tomorrow yeah and i think so,
0: context matters right so if you're working with an 18 year, or a 15 year old. You know, they're low autonomic functions, their own fault. They're idiots. They're young. They're stupid. They're going to make these mistakes on a routine basis. If you're working with a person in their last six months preparing for Olympics after a quadrennial cycle of just getting hammered with this, and they start to say, Hey, I feel like I'm not recovered. That's a different story. Yeah. You know, like it's a lot different. You don't want to force yourself on that person that's going, Hey, like I got six months of fine tune here and I can't screw this up. Like it's just a lot different. Context matters a lot in this. Mm-hmm.
1: definitely i mean it, it always does so we're tracking we decide we should make an adjustment what are things we can positively do or what can we do to positively influence our our hrv resting heart rate
0: all that so a good friend of mine passed away but he would always say have a good shitty day kind of revisit, right the mm-hmm. if you always think that you're proverbially going to be in the zone like every day you can just manifest that you're fooling yourself Right. right. There's, you're going to feel like crap. You're going to be distracted. You're going to have a lot of stuff going on outside of that practice and training, like just setting up to always have a good shitty day. What's the most I can do today? What's the best I can do today? And it might be short, but it might be effective. It might be a really hard, grueling day that you just kind of have to like trudge through stuff no matter how much you didn't want to do it. But with that being said is there are some things that we can kind of you know, quote unquote, hack this, right? And that stuff's wildly out there, right? Like you can listen to a lot of other podcasts and they go into the quote unquote hacks to improving your HRV or your testosterone and whatnot. I do think the issue with, and I'm gonna go into what I think they are, but the issue with it is like anything, if I wanna get someone a bigger muscle or more robust nervous system, it's repeated efforts at a high level of quality execution over a long period of time. Right. So if we're gonna talk about getting early sunlight exposure, are you doing that every single day? Right. Like circadian rhythm is really the aggregate of your monthly and yearly habits. Not this, hey, I woke up at six and let the sun kiss me in the cheek and you know, I feel rejuvenated. Like it doesn't work like that. Like circadian takes a long time to develop and really establish yourself. Like you're looking at real big thing about circadian. And you should go back and listen to some of the stuff we talked about with Rob of like these different light spectrums are hitting your eyes and that's causing a downstream effect of either producing melatonin or not producing melatonin. And that melatonin starts this feedback loop of, Hey, you're going to produce leptin and growth hormone and testosterone at specific times. And everything is like preceding another thing. And when I get early light exposure, I get exposed to these things that sets off this Feedback loop throughout the day of energy and vitality and vitamin D production and all those other stuff, but it's all the product of okay, does your body perceive this? Is your body coming off a feedback loop that sets you up to receive that light in an efficient manner? And if we're we're going to start to have a conversation about hacking your HRV, and it comes into every you get sunlight exposure, that's a daily thing. It's not something you could do a couple of days out of the week and say, oh, I'm doing everything. Look you're absolutely not doing enough. Like if I want to get stronger, like I like the the famous question, like I don't want to get big. Like, you know how hard it is to get big? Like it's so hard. Like it's really hard and you got to really commit to it. So unless you're really afraid of committing too much, I don't think you're going to get that big. Hey, I really want to hack this thing. Don't think about a hack. Think about it. This is my daily lifestyle. This is what I do. Death taxes and waking up as soon as the sun raise, raises so I can get that early morning actual UV light that I need to start the whole process. But light exposure is really important, right? Do I have a lot of unnatural light hitting me in the face all the time? Are we getting different spectrums of this like red, orange, green? Are we doing all the things that we need to do to get more balanced light exposure? And then we start to see parasympathetic improve. We start to see a downturn in sympathetic, right? And a lot of times the act, right? So people talk about grounding, people talk about light exposure, people talk about doing breathing. It's the not being focused on something with an elevated heart rate or stimulating where my eyes dilate, all these things. like It's just a, distracting yourself from the busyness and the, the hecticness of life. So if we're looking at, hey, this, this is a great tool to utilize to improve your HRV, you know, the, the simple logic is you're not doing stuff that's increasing your sympathetic tone. And if you're far co- more conscious on breathing, you're more conscious on getting more natural light, if you're more conscious on getting your feet in contact with the earth's surface or doing more zone two, or things that are a little bit longer, slower, like the, the more rest and digest, it just feels like it. Right. And you know, the other stuff is going to be more sympathetic, right? It's just going to be way more engaging, way more stimulating, way more distracting, way more impactful on the other part of this fight or flight. So those would be like the big four, I guess, of like sunlight getting in contact with the earth's ground Earth surface we're grounding you can look at it from a breathing perspective or you can look at it from the other end of the spectrum of maybe potentially just natural breathing in a very tranquil or quiet place and maybe that comes in the form i like to read or i like to uh, sit in a sauna i like to do these things like it's all good it's great but those are some things that you could do but it's not a habit it's not a hack it's a habit it's a lifestyle. It's something you really got to commit to, because if you want to get the real benefit of it, just like you want to train hard and get stronger or faster or bigger, it's what you do over a long period of time and how well you do it. And, you know, the, if we learned anything from sports, the sports code or range or anything like that, it's, it, you know, the multi-sport or single sport phenomenon, or like just specialized in this like particular sport if you really want to be good, man, you really got to have a very concerted effort and dedicated practice period. Like I could be really good at baseball, basketball, and football simultaneously if I have really good practice habits. You know, and if you're a really good athlete, I can be really good at tennis if that's the only thing I played, if I have really concerted effort. But that's, I think that's a universal rule. I don't think that's just limited to sport. If I want to improve my parasympathetic tone and increase my HRV and lower my resting heart rate and improve, improve my blood pressure, then I have to make it a really concerted effort. So yeah, i wake up every single day at 6 a.m. And I try to get that early morning light as soon as I possibly can. And I try to drink water when I first thing I wake up. But if you're just kind of on your phone, if you're just, you know, just staying busy or doing stuff like, you know, just doing stuff that's going to be more sympathetic, Chances are that 6 a.m. is not really effective as it is, and they're probably better served just staying in bed. Like if you're just not really engaged with that act, if you're just, you're breathing, but you're not really paying attention to you're on your phone. Are you really focused on your breath? Like the whole thing with mindfulness and being more conscientious of that is is really experiencing it. And I I think these like HRV changes, it's like you can't do it on your terms. You got to do it, you gotta commit. If I want to get stronger or faster, I have to commit. If I want to get better parasympathetic. Sympathetic tone. You have to commit, and I don't think that's the stuff people are talking about. It's very objective. Like, if you get eleven minutes of cold water immersion a week, then you're gonna be fine. Like, yes, maybe, but like, are you really fidgety? Do you like get up and like go over through like your cell phone afterwards? Are you just doing a bunch of stupid stuff? You're eating a bunch of like very inflammatory foods, like. Is it just throwing a chair off the Titanic is like the the real thought process here. You're just doing something to check a box or you're actually really committed to doing it. Quality matters. Like it's not just the quantifiable things that you can say, oh, I did my part. Like, I don't know why I'm not better. Like you haven't really committed commit.
1: Right. That's such a good point. Like it's so, it's not hard to slow down, but you have to be intentional about slowing down and doing these little things day in, day out. And I mean, truth, it's boring. Like it is boring to do some of this stuff, but because there's always something to do, there's always something that's going to be pulling for your attention. But the ability to be able to slow down is so critical, especially for that autonomic nervous system function. Absolutely. And so we got all these options out there or ring whoop. You could even get into blood pressure and wellness questionnaires too. Like, does it matter what we use is one better than the other?
0: My opinion, reliability matters more than what or the perceived validity of something. If we do it consistently every single day and it influences our behaviors in a positive manner, then it's a really valuable tool. And you'll get into the nuance of this one is supposed to be more accurate than this one, or this one's supposed to be a better readout based off of this. I think that's incredibly biased and agenda driven. I would say if you're trying to pick a horse, you're probably better served picking a horse that you can ride every single day. Not the fastest, not the one that can pull the most weight, but the one that you can do every single day. So if it's, I can't afford one of these wearables, but I can do wellness every single day, do it every day and make that look at it from a micro and a macro perspective and have that positively influence your decisions. If you spend no money and just do wellness, a five question wellness questionnaire of sleep, quality, stress, mood, soreness, and fatigue, on a one to five scale, and you look at that number as an aggregate of one to 25 or five to 25, and you start to triangulate how that influences your training decisions, and you track that over a period of time that you feel is adequate to say, okay, I I gave it a fair shake. To me, that's more valuable than having the most accurate wearable in the world, right? Like I can get on a table and I can put a sensor here and here and I can get my omega wave. If you're doing that intermittently or if you're not really doing that at a certain frequency, that influences training decisions on a daily, weekly, and monthly perspective, I would say choose the wellness questionnaire. If it's just more convenient, it's easier to stay reliable on it. That to me is more superior than having something that's quote unquote more accurate or more valid. But then the other end it gets into maybe it's a tipping, it's a it's a tipping point. You know, so I start with the wellness questionnaire and I go, okay, I'll come like committed. To looking at a daily proxy to determine what I should be doing from an intensity and volume perspective, or when I should start to perceive a drop off, then yeah, maybe level up, go to something that's more of this like transitional thing. Look at something like an Aura Whoop, and they'll both tell you they're more accurate than each other. They'll both tell you their metrics are better than each other. I would say if you know you're going to use it every single day, if it makes sense, if you get a good deal, like you got a like partnership agreement with it, like Work provides it, something like. Don't worry about that. Like, don't worry about the other one being better. Like, you're using it every day. It's reliable. It's a great tool for you. And I think that part is like the, I don't think anyone's talking about that. Like, and I don't have any like marriage to anyone. I had, I was on a podcast with Jay Wiles and he has one called Hanu. That's great. It's a great tool. And if you're using it every single day, absolutely recommend it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great tool if you know you're going to use it every single day and it's influencing your decisions in a positive manner. Right, if it's getting you to be more conscientious about your time out of the weight room, then I think you found the right tool for you, and that to me is most important. Because a lot of times we get hung up on, it. we can just throw money at this. Like the reason why I haven't improved my HRV is because I, I didn't spend enough money on having a whoop and or or you know I I think a lot of people have that misguided logic, right? The, and I think the same thing in the weight room too, of like, well, the reason why I'm not better, I'm not stronger or faster or jumping higher is because I don't have a force plate all that does is test the work that you should be doing. So if you're working your ass off and you're doing it at a high level consistently, you know, you should see the results on a force plate, but you don't even need the force plate to see that. And I think that's the other part of it. Like this doesn't change behavior. You do. This gives you an indicator of what you're doing over a longer period of time, but that's not the driver of what changes it. It might influence your decisions. It might influence your habits, but you, the person that is reacting to this information changes your habits and decisions. You over a longer period of time get the have the power to change that with or without this. So if you look at this as the reason, this is the panacea of 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 wellness and happiness, you're mistaken. You can't throw money at at performance and hope it works. You know, you have to really commit to it. And you gotta go, okay, if I'm gonna invest the couple hundred bucks a year off of this, or a couple hundred bucks and then whatever the monthly is now, then you're going to have to start to say, okay, well, am I willing to make decisions off of that? Am I willing to make changes? Am I willing to to adjust my training plan in order to reach these higher functioning levels? And if not, save your money. Don't spend it. It's not worth
1: it. Yeah. That's, I mean, it really all boils back down to the data is only going to be as good as you can use it and apply it. No so, doubt. I mean, I think that's a really good perspective. Like start with wellness. Like, If you're just getting started, start with wellness, track it every day, and then just just make sure you're looking at it and using the information you're getting. Hell, if you went down to
0: Walgreens or Rite Aid or CVS and they have that, like, shove your arm into the blood pressure cuff and you just do yeah. that every week, like, if you've got to pick up medicine for grandma every week for some reason, I don't know why you would do that, but just jam your arm in there and use that. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that's better place to start than throwing 300, 400 bucks at a wearable. Like... I don't think that's a bad thing. Or just say, hey, if you have access to a blood pressure cuff, just use that. It'll give you a resting mm-hmm. heart rate or our heart rate in that position. And they'll give you a blood pressure, you know, like if anything, it's, you may pay 30 bucks for a digital blood pressure monitor. Like, why not? You know, yeah. like I, I, just like we talk about body comp, like just have something where you can test it and see what the impact is from your training decisions and seeing if you're making great decisions over a period of time. It's really the answer here.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. I, th- I think this has been really good. Hopefully this clears some, some stuff up with HRV, resting heart rate for everyone. I know we got Hayes coming up. Should be a good one. Yeah, well,
0: he'll, he always, always brings out heat, man.
1: Appreciate you, Corey. Yeah, appreciate you, Tim.
0: If you like what we're talking about here on this podcast, you're definitely going to love this next thing. It's called Strength Deficit your seminal resource to developing eccentric versus concentric ability with your athletes. We have a book, we have courses, we have everything you need to be able to implement, understand, and be the best strength deficit practitioner you could possibly be. You can get all of these resources at phpodcast.com and you'll become the best, and I mean this, the best possible strength coach in your setting. All right, coach Hayes, how are we doing? Let's get into this. We're talking autonomic nervous system. We're talking oh, about yeah. testing. We're talking about things like Aura, Whoop, Garmin, Apple watch, whatever you're using, it really doesn't matter. All we care about is trying to understand this at a high level. So right off the top Coach Hayes, how are you using wearables to assess your autonomic nervous system function?
2: Man, I, I check it every day, first thing, and I wake up. And I use the aura Ring, all right? Big fan of the aura Ring. I have used the Whoop in the past. And Whoop was great. The simple reason that I do a lot of kettlebell work and it would, like, hit that, that little, you know, watch right there on the wrist. And the mm-hmm. fact that I do a lot of boxing training, I always felt I had to kind of maneuver the Whoop. So, went with the ring. I don't think there's like that, you know, much big of a difference, but that was the only, that was the reason why I changed. So I liked, I liked simply because kept, doesn't bother me kettlebells, doesn't bother me boxing. doesn't matter. Like you said, really the matters is you have something, you have one of these gadgets. First thing, when you wake up, that's what I'm reading. That's how I'm looking at it. I kind of let it steer my day. I kind of let it steer my week. I kind of let it, you know, it's my North star and it's not, I don't let it dictate my day, but that's the first thing I'm checking. And then I kind of like, you know, I want to see good scores. So hey, it puts me in a good mood. If I see some bad scores, yeah, I'm not in a great, you know, I'm kind of down on myself a little bit, but but that's just a way for me to, you know, hey, what do I got to do to get better? What do I gotta stay in the in the high 80s and low 90s? What do I gotta to do to 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 get good at that? It's a way for me to compete for with my, you know, against myself. Being a former athlete and not really playing a sport anymore, so it's a, it's a fun way to compete. That's how I look at it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm sure there's going to be the the woo pundits and the aura pundits, and it becomes like almost bipartisan. Of like, oh yeah, you're a you're a woo person. Like, you know, that's not as accurate as aura, or vice versa. I, I don't yeah. think anyone really can say that very non in a very non biased way because it feels like all of the inaccuracy or Poor reliability, like research comes from the counterpart, I guess, or validity, I should say, not reliability. But I think it goes into even more of the reliability component, right? When we start to think about every day you're waking up and you're looking at something that's reliable, right? The first thing you do is you look at how well you slept and what is your readiness on the given day. And if you do that the same way every single day, that becomes reliable in itself and that becomes valuable. And I think that gets into this next question. You talked about this as your true north. And how this is going to influence it. So, you know, you can dive into your programming if you like. You can dive into what you've been focusing on and what your goals are. But how is that shaping your program from a performance tra- training program perspective on any given day from a volume or intensity perspective?
2: Well, I learned a lot of this from from muscle mentorship and, and really learning from you, Tim, and, and how to look at the aura when when i started instead of just day to day and you could go back in time and look at month to month and you could see that that long term you know longitudinal view similar to how you would look at a force plate is is it really that important of what how you jump that day or is it what's more important is what are your trends over time so when you taught me how to go back into the aura and look at that longitudinal view that's really how i'm looking at it how am i going from month to month in and really let's break you know, you know high level 30,000 foot view we all want hrv to go up and resting heart rate to go down so that's really do i want a good score every day sure more good scores pile up you know get get in those trends, but really we're working backwards and I'm kind of looking at those trends over time and say, how how's my HRV done over the last month or two? Has it gone up? Awesome. Has my resting heart rate gone down? Awesome. So I'm kind of looking at like that. A lot thanks to you and and you know helping me out with that. But just similar how you would you would do the force plates or you know anything like that. Launch, you know, more of a long-term view is how I want to look at it. And from there, I'll I'll kind of make the changes how I need. Now, I'm a routine guy. I'm basically kind of doing some of the same stuff, train the same way, maybe maybe try some different programs here and there, but it's not that drastically. It's more of like what the environment is around me. So if you kind of, I'll take you back to a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, my time with WWE, we had seven groups a day and that was a nonstop. You know, we got over a hundred athletes in the Orlando area right there at the performance center. And those groups are going boom, 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 eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three, four, boom. So I'm running around all day. Bah, bah, bah. I'm going, picking up weights, hey, helping spot, you know, calling out the workouts, running, you know, demoing. My step count was probably averaging 17,000 steps. My my resting heart rate was down and my HRV was, was high. Now, if I slept well, I would get a good scores because it's a stressful day. Then switch to the XFL lifestyle completely changed. I'm thinking to myself, Oh man, this is going to be way better. I don't got to get in the car. I don't got to drive to Orlando. Don't have seven groups a day. What I noticed was that my, my scores worsened. And because of that, I was staring on the computer a lot, right? A lot of zoom calls, very like unfamiliar territory for me Mm -hmm. on the phone, a lot more, dealing with things, trying to set up, trying to get, it was fun. I'm glad I, you know, I'm glad I did that, but just unfamiliar. So the environment was very drastic. What I thought would be better for me in internally, it was like all adjustment. And when that happens, man, scores, scores worsen and all you have to, you have to adjust. So how can that help our athletes? Well, anytime your environment changes, Man, you have to acclimate to that, right? You have to have set time to adjust. If if you look at some of the stuff that's happening in the NFL right now, or, you know, ultimate fighting, UFC, there's talk right now about a lot of teams going to London, a lot of the fighters going overseas. How much time do we you need to acclimate that before going in? If you look at the Bills, they were there, they showed up, they got waxed by the Jags who were there for all, already for two, three weeks. So there's a lot of talk about acclimating, and and there's truth to that because man, we we can see it, you know, right there. If you got an O ring, your scores are way off just because new stimulus, new environment. So for me, that really opened my eyes to some of that stuff. And and what's really what I need to take away with that is I need to help. How can I use that information to help the athletes? Hey, we need to acclimate. Let's give you an example: XFL players. They show up to Arlington. Are we going to expect them to show up? Drop their bags off and you know be the best they can be on day one. No, we gotta acclimate, right? So let's install, let's implement some protocols, let's implement some ramp up periods type stuff to get them acclimated to the situation. Understand? We ain't got all day. We gotta get going at some point. But let's set them up in a you know set them up for success, knowing that new stimulus, new environment, new stressors. Oh man, I'm in a new spot because that stuff does affect all all these internal things. And, and so that's big takeaway that I learned from shifting from one job, doing something completely different. Um, and you can see the trends, you know, like once I got situated with the XFL and my new role at home, bam, I went to Arlington, new stimulus, new, new environment. Okay. Okay. Now I'm in Arlington, get adjusted to that. All right. Now back home. And so it's, it's just constant game of if you get out front of it and figure out Okay, I know I'm about to go over to this new spot. I'm about to go to London. I'm about to go to Arlington. How can I adjust my training? Because I'm getting out in front of it and I'm not adjusting it while it's too late. So, definitely, I look at it from a longitudinal view. And now that I've learned, I think I know now what to expect when you change environments, change stimulus. And what do I do? I just kind of adjust my training, right? And maybe go from a four day split to a three day split. Maybe I do lighter weights. I don't do as, as as heavy loads. Maybe I don't use the barbell. More dumbbell type training. More kettlebell. And maybe I'll do for more walks, things like that. So just just putting plans in place to knowing that that's coming up. I think is the biggest takeaway from my own experience.
0: You know, the first thing I'm thinking about is just how much modern sports are transitional. Starting in high school, like there's, I would say, really high quality athletes or top tier athletes. Are probably on average going to two to three high schools. And and that evolves into now college, like they're probably playing in two to three colleges with NIL and, and Transfer Portal and everything associated with that. And if they have the great fortune of playing professionally, can you imagine how many organizations they're going to be a part of? Right? It's called not for yeah. long for a reason. So if you're looking at the experience you had of changing jobs, you know, now. That's a reality for everybody in strength, conditioning and coaching and for athletes. There's no like there's no holdover. There's no there's no person that's going to stay long term. So having some baseline of what is you when you're acclimated and in a routine and really assimilated to an environment look like from an HRV, a resting heart rate, maybe even other functions like sleep quality and, and mood and soreness and, and wellness and all those other things that we can track. You know, what does that actually look like? So you can start to establish just the, the impact of high transitional living. And I think that part is a really invaluable tool as we start to look at, which gives a lot more credence to potentially having some sort of understanding of what is good or what is a baseline and then start to work off of that. So I think that's a great segue, though, of you were talking about the different types of stress, like WWE is physical and then XFL was more emotional and mental. Right. And you're you're yep. putting out fires. You're constantly getting everyone's essentially garbage every day versus the other end. You just if you had a problem, you work through it. Where if in XFL, you had a problem, you had to kind of rally the troops and coordinate and start to figure out the best solution to an impossible answer. And you saw that directly impact your stress. Now, the the question I have off of that is how much are you taking consideration now looking at going through a full year of more managerial, less boots on the ground, burning calories, getting a lot of steps in with that physical toll? Did you resent the fact that you didn't have a lot of physical exertion, a lot of fatigue or a lot of impact? Or did you look at it from this is my life evolving. Like what was your emotional response to seeing your actual HRV drop from less physical taxing work?
2: Yeah, great question. You know, at first I was pretty frustrated, right? Because you look at that step count and you're at 17,000 and all of a sudden you're at, you're barely touching 10,000. So you, you look at it like, I'm getting, I'm, I'm worse. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not the same. I'm, I'm getting worse with this job, you know, because, you know, you, like, you know, you, like I said earlier, you compete with this thing, you know, you compete against yourself, but you have to, what, what you realize is like, all right, how do I, how do I get that good score again? Right. Like where my, my environment, I, I just want to get in the high eighties, low nineties, mid nineties. Like, how do I get that? Okay. I need to get sleep. Boom! I need to take care of that. You know, maybe I do less training. So I started doing a three day training split. Mm-hmm. That's what you know. Really got a lot that from you. I, I was always kind of a four day uh, guy. Changed my workouts to you know three days, and if I got a fourth, great bonus. So I kind of took this less less is more approach. Really started to dive into some mental performance practicing, and really seeing if that could help. And and that I I did feel like that helped me a lot. And well, what things that we used in the XFL great company out there called Roulette. they there's it's a science backed research research back platform that you can download on your phone so it's very accessible and what's cool is that it's customizable and it tracks what you, you what what you like and your trends over time so you download this app you get like an oculus or a headset VR headset put in your experience. Okay. I want to reduce stress. I want to, I'm, I'm in post-workout mode. I want to, you know, focus more. I hit that experience and then bam, I'm immersed in this VR five to 10 minute experience where I'm, I'm getting coached on how to breathe. I'm looking at cool pictures. I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, the wilderness, I'm out in the ocean, I'm in the Alps, whatever. So I use that more to less like trying to find out ways to get my, to get my steps up, I looked at it. How can I recover more? How can I, you know, lower my stress levels more? And I think like the mental health, the mental performance practice of it all really helped me. I, I, have used that a lot. I, I used it so much that I, I kind of like did everything that they had on their app. So <laughs> I'd use like all their experiences. So I'm like, you know, I put it aside a little bit and, but it's funny, you know, now that, you know, here it is. I, I I haven't used it in a couple months since I've been home because, you know, I'm comfortable here. I've been home since probably, you know, late May, early June, back in my, you know, familiar surroundings. Well, hey, let's just be honest. You know, there's some uncertainty with the XFL and these spring leagues, you know, look, you know, they're not they're It's not like guaranteed here. Right. But stress levels turn ten, are, are going up a little bit. Right. Hey, you know, is, you know, am I, you know, are we gonna win? Are, are we gonna play? And when are we gonna play? So, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't stressed out about that. Okay, I'm looking at, I'm seeing that in my aura, right? Resting heart rate's a little higher. I'm not changing anything. I'm back in my comfort zone. I'm back home. What's going on? I go right back to the roulette. So I'm hitting the roulette now, and I really wanna see, Not in, as opposed to just using it, I really wanna track. Is my usage of directly correlated to my HRV? So over the next few weeks, months, I'm going to be tracking that, keeping a close eye with that. So that's how I handled it instead of well, trying to a good find subject. steps. I want to ask
0: you a question off of that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So in season wise, when you felt like you were at your lowest last year of, in terms of HRV, resting heart rate, sleep quality, maybe even sleep quantity. Do you have a range of what you saw in terms of like a standard deviation? Like what is a, what is a optimal Sean HRV? Do you know that off the top of your head?
2: Yeah. It'd be like in the, I like it in the eighties would be, you know, low eighties, high eighties, somewhere around there would be. And that's optimal. On
0: aura. Okay. So off yep. of that, when you're in the, the, the depth of XFL in season, do you recall what like the low mark was for extended period of time that made you drop some concerns?
2: 30s, you know, that okay, when perfect. I'm hitting it, when I'm hitting the 30s, man, what's so, the, what the heck's so going almost,
0: on? More than a hundred percent drop. Now, in response to that, you got on roulette. How long each week were you putting into it? Or how much time each day were you putting into it on average?
2: About 10 minutes. And right. you would, a 10 minute session. And then you would, you would, I would try to do it two to three times a week.
0: So about 30 minutes a week. Yep. Now, in regards to, let's say that you're doing it, 30 minutes a week, did you see a impact from doing 30 minutes a week? And how long did that 30 minutes a week have in terms of your impact on HRV?
2: Well, I wish I would have, what I, what I wish I would have done was really kind of correlate those two a little bit more and see if that was a direct impact. But what I've noticed, and that's what i that's what I'm planning on doing this next go around. New stress comes up. I'm gonna plan on doing that. What I noticed just from myself was that I was able to attack the you talk about the garbage, you talk about the fires putting out, I was able to attack those a little bit better. If I could take 10 minutes of my morning and breathe and relax and just kind of, you know, in and just kind of set my, you know, start my day like that, I was able to take on the Setting out the fires, picking up the phone, going driving this facility, putting out these fires. I was able to attack them a little bit better. So my by the
0: end of the season, what was your HRV back up to you? Do you recall? I was, yeah,
2: I, you could definitely see by the when we were when we were at the end of the season, you know, my HRV was back up to normal and and it's funny back
0: the eighties or like a, Yes. Or back in the eighties. Okay, so that yeah, that's so that is anecdotal, but that is evidence, right? That' You dropped your training volume, so you dropped from four days to three days, or frequency, which drops your volume as well. And you increased other modalities like roulette, spending a more conscious time either focused on your breath or in a almost like experiential type environment where you can get into certain auditory and visual environments that were relaxing and soothing and helping you focus. You see, you see a peak right there.
2: You see that peak right there, Tim. Uh, okay, that peak. 71. So I was a little, I was a little high on my estimation there. Mm. See right there that low peak. Yeah, that's April. Yeah, that's that's right around that's right around uh, beginning of the season. Okay, see how low that was, and then as you know, March, May, or uh, sorry, uh, May June comes up, I'm back up, and then mm. I drive back home, and I'm kind of getting adjusted to be- being back home again. So I didn't mean to cut you off,
0: but, no, but that's the point yeah, of this, right? That that's peak- the cool part.
2: Right. That peak right there was at the end of the XFL season. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you could see that deep valley. Oh man, I'm stressed the hell out. What am I doing? How do I put this fire out? And then, you know, meditation less, like you're saying less is more three days a week, not worrying about getting four or five days workouts in that kind of helped me get back to, to my, to my normal state. And, but it's, it's cool to see those dips and valleys, you
0: know? For sure. We got into this with Will and body compositional talk, and he talked about how body composition testing just starts the conversation, it gets into routines and habits. And I'm like, are you objectively evaluating the things that you're saying, right? Are you looking at it? We just really focused on Sean's habits and that had a X impact on his body composition. And he's like, no. I'm like, then how can you say it's the right approach? Like, that's the point of this. It's like, all right, I'm going to commit to doing roulette and I'm going to drop my training frequency one day a week. And it shows a positive impact on that. And you talked about going to London. You talked about moving from pretty much a schedule where you're in Cocoa Beach, Orlando, pretty much two or three days out of the week to Arlington and living in a hotel starting a whole thing from scratch, everyone's just kind of figuring it out. It's every day just putting out fires to a constant level of stress that you're not accustomed to, not physical, but emotional. And you said, okay, I have to react to this. I have to respond. I'm going to adjust my training frequency. I'm going to increase my focus by trying to get more time with visualization, auditory breathing, all these things that we know are going to relax and parasympathetic state, all those things. And you saw a positive impact. And I think the point going forward on this is you are seeing cause and effect relationship from one, understanding what baseline is, two, understanding what the impact from changing your or toggling your training. And then three, now you have some sort of, all right, I know this will be a hard transition. When I start to see a decline in these metrics, I can start to respond by increasing this and decreasing that. And I think that's the beautiful part of this. Hopefully web show and podcast is you're getting a firsthand look at how we're engineering this stuff ourselves and it's not simple it's not easy it's could probably evolve the relay will evolve and other things will come into the pipe of like i gotta start including more soft tissue or i gotta start improving more flexibility work or maybe it's a massage or something that could really benefit whatever it is that you're getting but it might be a different stressor it might be something that you're not accounting for so that's kind of the point of this now it's like okay well let's go into this roulette thing and does roulette give you some sort of performance metric from like i know a lot of these things can track your you know the dilation of your eyes how much you're blinking does it give you any feedback by how engaged you were within that 10 minutes
2: it gives you it it gives you feedback on time in terms of like time of day it gives you feedback on what experiences that you've used the most and and, and don't think like we can't we use something called the ISync in in exfl for concussion protocols oh. that would that that could look into your eye that could look at the dilations and things like that dive a little bit deeper a little bit more technology in that point with the roulette it's it does give you good feedback of what kind of works for you and then you be able to say like hey i'm a noon. i this stuff really helps me around noon this stuff really helps me at night time yeah. What, what stuff is, you know, what, what type of experience worked for you? Are you more of a focused person? Are you more of a calm person? You answer surveys and it gives you that feedback and that, and that, and it kind of starts to customize. Hey, I know that Sean Hayes is logged in. He's more of worry. He wants to reduce worry. Tim logged in. Tim needs to focus on, you know, I need to, I need to focus and and think more positive and a hey, positive yeah. possibilities out there are endless. So it 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 it'll give you that type of feedback, which is really cool because then you can kind of look at it from an XFL point of view and say, "Hey, this team did really well with this." And you know, I'm, look, I'm not going to sit up here and say roulette was the reason why the Arlington Renegades won the XFL championship, but they did use it the most out of every team in the oh, yes. XFL. They used it or the most
0: causation, no, right? Cool. So,
2: hey, <laughs> you know, we'd be fools if we say just abandon that and say, yeah, "Hey, I that know. didn't help them out." So. You know, it's cool that it's cool that you can look at that from a from a league standpoint and say what teams are using it and are they bending from it or not? And what's cool about that company is that they're brand new, they're boots on the ground, they're they're calling you, they're they're meeting with you. What what do we got to do to get this thing going? It's very cool to bounce ideas off with them. Hey, you know, if we got in a football league, maybe put some experiences of of being inside a football stadium. Right, if I'm a football player and I put this headset on. Maybe I want to envision being in the stadium, you know. Maybe I want to vision the the amount of people there. Maybe I'm a baseball player, right? Like I, I remember Brandon McDaniel saying this when when we were at the symposium. Big thing for these guys that are coming over from the Dominican Republic is the amount of people in the stands, right? They go from having 50 people at the ballpark to 15,000 and. How could how do they, how do they adjust to that? It's just as much mental as it is anything else. So it's cool to kind of bounce ideas off with them. At, it, you know, them being a smaller company, them being, than being a startup. And, and, and that's where kind of like the magic happens. So yes, it, it's, it's helped me, you know, and the other thing I would just say to touch on what, what you talked about, you know, I have somebody like you that's in my corner that you get, you know, Hey Tim, what do I do? Hey man, down. Downgrade, shift down. Don't shift up. The I think a big mistake. What I if what I could have did was see my seventeen thousand step count and say, oh sh- dang, I gotta top that. I gotta find a way to get that in. I gotta run the stadium steps at Choctaw Stadium. I gotta I gotta do it because that's what I'm used to. And then now you just dig yourself deeper into that rabbit hole. Once you're in that rabbit hole, it's really hard to get out. So, you know, for the listeners out there you know, less is, less is more is, is a better approach. And you don't necessarily have to look, stress is stress. It don't care if it's working out. It don't care if it's a going for a run. It don't care if it broke up. If you broke up with your girlfriend, it don't care. If you lost a family member, lost a job, it doesn't care. It's stress. So when, you know, when you fill up this cup of water overflow, injuries happen. You're down for the count. So you know, stress is stress, as opposed to trying to get it in at all costs. I got to get those seventeen thousand. Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take a few steps back in order to get a few steps in. So you know, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I get guys like you in my corner to kind of help me with that. But for the listeners out there, you know,
0: you can pay that, me. You can pay me. me, I, can me. I can be in your corner too. You just got to pay me. Sorry, sorry.
2: <laughs> right. Listen, right. To well, sign, up. It. sign up. Sign
0: I'll, up. To... I'll do it for money. Right.
2: <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, I mean, but, but, but it, especially we're not getting any younger either. Yeah. So it's harder for us to attack these challenges like we, like we could when we were in our twenties. So, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's a key takeaway, I think.
0: <clears throat> yeah. One, one last thing I want to talk to you about, and you mentioned it kind of in everything you've been saying, this idea of our job now, and you, I, maybe some folks listening to this have gone the trajectory of like maybe intern athlete assistant strength coach, just head down, biding your time, just very simple, do this, and then you're done, you go home. Then to this next level of maybe becoming a head strength coach, and then even beyond that of like, you're pretty much a, a general manager, so to speak, of all performance, which every step of the way brings a different type of reaction and a different type of stress You know, one of the things I kind of want to get you talking about here a little bit would be the every step of the way and what you constituted as the best version of you, either when you're an assistant at Penn State or with the Texans as a head guy at the NXT or now is this like, Superhead guy at the XFL, like what's a good day? And then how are you triangulating all of the data now? Obviously you didn't have it at certain points of your career, but if you're like going back to an assistant and you had a huge workload of movement and coaching, breaking down, setting up versus now, it's a lot of, you know, managerial stuff. Like, well, how are you evaluating what's a great day for you? And then what are some of the metrics you're trying to lean in on to determine that?
2: Yeah. you know. I think for me, a good day, go back to the NXT, a a good day for me would be like, you know, we collected, we we did a month and we collected people's, all the talents force plates. We got them to get on the body comp scale and they're, they followed the velocity based training to a T, right? Week one was 0.5 meters per second. Week two was 0.4, 0.3. Week three was point three point two like man everybody's buying in and and then you know we saw trends upwards right force application was going up and you know body composition readings were were improving and that that was like a man i would really be proud of that and i i remember like oh man we're rocking all cylinders i'm like we're doing the type of stuff that they're doing with the dodgers right body comp velocity-based training. We implemented management load management surveys, right? How was your ring session? Was it a one through a five? How was your workout? One through five. And then, like, man, that was rocking and rolling with there. And I, would, I was really proud with that. I felt like, okay, we're, we're, we're making some strides here. XFL, I think a good, you know, what, what when we look at it from what I'm proud of is all the team's are at least attempting to implement the force plates and we're got enough data maybe not every single player on every single team are jumping and using catapult like like you know all every single player but we got enough data that we can see some trends so I can go back to my the, the higher ups of the company and say hey this team's speed it didn't decrease over ten weeks. Look, look at their average speed, and that's good because now you can rest assured as that ownership or higher up be like my, you know, my players, the the guys that were like using the catapult, they didn't have a big dras- drastic drop off or force um, or jump height or RSI. We took those and we were able to uh, we were able to get enough data throughout the entire league, eight teams, fifty players a league now. And then we were able to see trends, you know, grip strength trends and force force plate trends, catapult trends. And we didn't see drastic drop-offs. In fact, in a lot of categories, we saw some positive trends. So that made me feel real proud. And, you know, continuing to do that, continuing to, to, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm this big data guy. You know what it all comes down to? For me, a good day is a freaking good workout. And if I could start my day with that, then, you know, then everything else I can attack the day. So you know, making sure you get take care of yourself, that's number one, you know, checking the aura score, That man, that's a good day, and then getting your workout in, that's important, and then being, you know, making sure you say hi to everybody, how's it going, ask them how their day was now that, and I'm not coaching the athletes as much, but I'm coaching the coaches, so going up to them, how are you doing, how was your workout, all right, good, how was your day, and just you know that to me is a, a good day but i was really proud of the fact that we were able to get a lot of data on a lot of teams in a wide scale version kind of like what we did at NXT instead of it just being here one one team one little pocket of orlando we were able to do it at, and and we just kind of we just kind of scratched the surface you know you, you and you're only as good as your team you know, I'm not. I'm not doing this myself. I got. You know, we got guys that are really, really good on our team, and and you know, you know, you know, Dylan personally. So you have a guy like Dylan. You have people like Azita. You have you have a uh, coach like Carlton Harris that are on your team. And man, they're willing to do what it takes in order for the lead to succeed. So you're only as good as your team. I know that. Just really proud of. You got to have the data. You got to start your day off. You got to be selfish, and then it kind of tricks trickles down to to your team and to your into ultimately a player. So those are some of the things that I look back on and say, really proud of that because we were, we were able to do basically what you you told us about, you know, and, and you look at you go to you go to the LA Dodgers Symposium. You see what the Dodgers are doing on a wide scale. We're doing some of that, not to say we're doing it that level or maybe like we're the best of the best, but hey, we're doing some of that stuff, and we're just getting started with it. so that that's that's the type of stuff that that you know I look back at being being proud of and think that you know having a good day or a good month.
0: <clears throat> what I'm hearing is something quantifiable and saying, here's our goal, here's our target. Try to get everyone tested. Try to get all our teams on the same page to get them tested, and that gives you some sort of "Hey, I I did a good job," you know. And and I think that the message for a lot of strength and conditioning coaches out there is a lot of us don't really know how to interpret a good versus a bad day. And the unfortunate thing when you don't do that is you have no baseline. You have like. The world we live in is an allostatic load constantly, constantly putting stress in our body, constantly evolving and adapting to this ever and oncoming stress. And we look at if we have no kind of determinant of good versus bad, and it's subjective, I get it, but that's your right to have a subjective appraisal of what's good and bad for yourself. You start to look at that of like the residual impact of if you're starting to stack up bad days, you start to burn out, you start to become irritable. You start to become hard to be around. You start to become someone that maybe is not the best version of themselves that they could be because they just simply don't realize what is a good versus bad day. And yeah. my point being is Simply ask yourself, like, what's your perfect day? And then come from there saying, okay, well, what's some of the metrics that corroborate that? Like, is it my HRVs in the 70s or my resting heart rate's in the 40s? Or, hey, my blood pressure is 115 over 70. Or, hey, I look at this as my body mass is here, my body comp's there, my wellness is here. RPEs are always high because I can really push hard and I like that. You know, all those dynamics at play creates this foundation of you tracking this stuff and leveraging it. And I think you start with subjective, you start to appraise yourself of like, hey, I really want to figure out how to be the best version of myself I can be. But then I use these wearables. And, and then one of the things that we're kind of trying to get across to everyone in this who's listening to this is saying, hey, this this probably dive into autonomic nervous system function, whether it's a Whoop or a Garmin or Apple Watch or whatever else, it doesn't really matter. It It starts with you and You have to understand what's good or bad, and you have to understand what's good or bad for you. And then by off of that, you have empathy when someone's like, this stuff is way over my head, or I don't really know how to determine it. Like, yeah, you just sit with the data for a while, and you start to ask yourself, is this good or bad? And one of the things I'll tell you is, HRV for me is not something that influences my day-to-day. It's influencing my, as we talked about, longitudinal, or month-to-month, or Mm quarter-to-quarter and I know I'm having good months of training if I have good HRV. I know I have, the point of training hard is to lower your HRV. If I train my ass off, the next day it should be right. lower, right? That that was most mentors. Yeah, I'm down, yeah,
2: that's good. That's good as what we want.
0: <laughs> training is intentional stress. That's, that's right. exactly what we're doing. And if it's not having a residual impact that's negative, you probably can go harder, and I think that's the point where most people are misled. On is like it's not a daily proxy of what you can or can't do. I think velocity-based training, or potentially something like a GPS that tracks accelerometer and gyroscope-based movement, is way better at that. I'm um, even looking at something as we talked about last muscle mentorship, or heart rate recovery. If like if you're if you're improving 50 beats per minute after a really high exertion up to like 90% max heart rate, you're in pretty darn good shape to get another rep. You know, if you're 10, probably shouldn't go again for a while. And I think that's like a better proxy for what your ability is on that given day. But I think this is a great like point to go into of like, man, you just talked at length about this is, this is how I use it. And that's the most important thing. You know, that's bottom line it works. It works for you. You're committed to it. It's reliable. It's not, I'm not marrying myself to oral whoop. I'm marrying myself to try to figure out how to understand this and help me become the best version of myself I can possibly be. Any, closing, any closing words for anybody out there looking to get into some more autonomic nervous system function?
2: Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I, I think you're, you're if, if you don't have the I'm just, let's say you don't have the facility, right. That you're going into and you're uh, getting the, your coach is jumping you on the force plates and you, you have a good measurement of where you are, your readiness, then you definitely need one. Now, if you were going into, you know, I was going, it's up to uh grind town, you know, 5 days a week, 4 days a week and Tim was going to get me on the force plate. And he's he's there to tell me, "Hey Sean, you're this, you're pretty good or you're down?" Then who's going to tell you that, right? If if you don't have somebody to do that, then this ring tells you that by right? yourself oh. like that that's what it's telling you. Are you ready? Are you if ready you to let go?
0: yourself do it. You'll tell yourself you shouldn't do it. You know, like right. nature is saying don't do things that are hard.
2: Right. And and like and Matt, you know, if we had if hey if everybody in the XFL had this, then maybe we don't have to dive so much into force plates. You know, probably still would for for certain qualities of, of of you know getting them player development. But but man, that's a big reason why we do that is because hey, you're down, you're you're up. That simple down or up lets them know. Hey, okay, good. I either got to get good sleep tonight. Because I'm down and I gotta get ready to go. And that hopefully I'm back, I'm I'm back to normal the next day. So if you don't have a coach that's you're 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 in you're showing up to a facility and you're taking those readiness levels, man, get one. It's gonna it's gonna really help you in your overall improvement, see where you're at. And then look, like you said, if you don't want to get overwhelmed, just look at just look at the HRV and the RHR. You know, in in general, if I want to be healthier, hey, HR. RHR resting heart rate should go down over time and HRV should go up over time. And, and that's a basic way to look at it. If I was looking at a body comp scale and I was, I jumped on the in body and I looked at their report, a lot of numbers, Oh man, I don't know how to read this. Okay. Narrow it down. Muscle mass should go up over time. Body fat should go down uh, over time. That's it. Just circle those two. Don't worry about weight. Don't worry about anything. And then maybe that could help you, you know, start to dive deeper into it a little bit more as you go.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. Sean, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome work, man. We will see you uh, next month, man. Get
2: you one of these. Get you one of these.
0: A ton to unpack. I hope you guys got some really good takeaways from this podcast. We really want to make sure that we're looking at a bunch of different time intervals with any r- resting heart rate, HRV, even blood pressure, etc. You know, one of the bigger mistakes I find with looking at this stuff is being dismissive or getting hung up on details about which one's more valid. It's going to be largely influenced by what resources and groups that you're a part of. There is a, an actual like way to interpret this stuff as being more valid, but I don't know if that's the point right now. What I would say the point is, is understanding how this is going to influence your training decisions, because you're going to have to essentially answer questions with athletes and clients that are going to be committed to one of these things, whether it's a brand or easily more recognizable or or maybe more digestible for them. So as you're breaking down which one's better or worse, you know the, the wrong thing would be to say that one is superior. The right thing to say is, okay, you're using an Apple Watch, you're using Nora, you're using a Whoop, you're using whatever else out there. How do we leverage this to make better decisions training? And it might not necessarily be on a day-to-day or a week-to-week. It might be a month-to-month or a quarter-to-quarter. And that's the point, is just trying to get a cadence, a rhythm that we can be reliable with and apply in a very compelling and interesting way. If you enjoyed this episode, again... I'm hammering this detail, but you need to become a member of the PH curriculum. we got access to all of our web shows in video format, the notes, the transcripts, all of the suggested resources and modules. We have a 50-module curriculum. It is a robust amount of information. You'll get on there, and you'll never be able to finish because there's just so much information to dive into. So if you're a strength and conditioning coach, you're listening to these podcasts on the regular, you need to become a member of the PH curriculum, phpodcast.com. I promise you, as a strength and conditioning coach, there's probably not a better resource or a more all-encompassing, robust resource in the PH curriculum. phpodcast.com. We'll see you guys next week.